Good morning, Hope Church. We're so glad that you're here. When I had the privilege of pastoring in Southern California, I was given the opportunity to, by my senior pastor, to join him in a very special gathering of believers. They were, they were leaders that were part of what's called the Gospel Coalition, and he was on the inner council for this. So when it was originally began, maybe some of you are familiar with it or you've attended some of their conferences. But when this originally began, Dr. Gary Enrig was the senior pastor at our church. He's written 20 plus books, super gifted theologian. And he generously invited me to join him to the council when they met together. Now, when, when he said, are you interested? I said, absolutely, because of the fact that a lot of the names that were going to be in the room for the council were people that I'd grown up listening to on the radio, like Erwin Lutzer, D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, David Platt, guys that I deeply respect, Francis Chan, I could keep going. I really, really have been impacted by these leaders. So, uh, so we went to Chicago. I did this with him several times over the years. And one of the things that almost always happened, and it, it stopped shocking me, is that in between the meetings, we'd go out for a meal, and I'd, I'd sit down with these leaders, and we'd have these amazing conversations, but it would always come to this one moment when they would reach out to me and they'd say, politely, so who are you, right? Like, why are you here, right? And, and, and I noticed over time that I stopped even saying my name anymore, and I just said, I'm here with Gary. That's basically what it was. So who are you? Uh, I'm, I'm here with Gary, right? That's, that's why I'm here. And, and I, I can't help but believe this morning as we dive back into our series through the book of Colossians that if you and I can wrap our mind around this idea that when it comes to being a Christ follower, if the natural progression for us is to say, I'm with Christ, that, that's why I'm here, that, that is my story, that, that he is the reason why I'm here if we get that truth, this series, we talk about being rooted and established in Christ Jesus, that this series is going to really focus in on who Christ is. And today, as we hear from the words of the Apostle Paul, he's going to point to Christ and he's going to lift Christ up in an amazing way. Like the song we just sang, it's going to be that he's going to be described as being an amazing God. And Christ is going to be lifted up in that has the way of eclipsing all other lies that might surround the idea of Christ. In fact, Paul was so anxious to write this message to the church in Colossae, partially, I believe, because he was afraid for them that they were tempted to do something that you and I may be tempted to do in our world today, and that is to take the message of Christ and then to add something to it. Is it really sufficient? And so we're going to read what some consider to be a hymn, a declaration of a high Christology of who Christ is. And then there's going to be an element of this, of the so what about that? So, so why does this matter? If Christ is so great, and what we're going to see together in this place is a description of what happens to the believer when they understand who Christ truly is, what it means for us to be rooted in truth, and how really what happens is the lost become found. And when the lost become found, it changes everything. And so I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you have your Bibles. Please turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We, we wrapped up two weeks ago uh, by finishing up verse 14, and then there's this, this statement that Paul's going to emphasize. The first point this morning is that that Jesus is fully God and fully man and carries all of God's authority. 
there's going to be an emphasis in this, this first section of scripture on the idea of reconciliation. When something's been separated, especially a relationship, what does it mean for them to be reunited? I love woodworking. And I was told by my shop teacher that if you, if you take wood and you glue it together appropriately, that that bond that's made, that it's stronger than if it was not, if, if it was stronger than actually the fibers of wood. You've heard this about a broken bone before, perhaps. That, that the, the well-set broken bone can be even stronger than if it had never separated before. I, I had the experience the other day of doing a ceremony, of a wedding ceremony for a couple that had been divorced from each other for 20 years. I want you to think about that. You think about the pain that they had gone through, right? The years they had kids together, the, the separation, the time that they, they'd had to figure out the finances and all those things. When they sat in my office and shared about the, this idea, they were almost embarrassed by it. And I just thought, can you imagine how special this is going to be? And the celebration, the kids were there. It was beautiful because what was separated became one again. It was reunited. This, this word of reconciliation is an idea of restoring relationship that's been broken. And here the Apostle Paul is going to describe Christ as the ultimate reconciler, the one that we put our hope in. In verse 15, we hear these words. He, now, if you're taking notes or if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, you can underline all the times all is used and all of the time he is emphasized here. He is lifted above all in the words of the Apostle Paul. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things. Are you getting a, noticing a theme here? All he keeps emphasizing this. All things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. This is his church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. These verses contain such profound truths. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's lifting Christ up. Now, in those days, there were a number of heresies that were creeping in that he was concerned about. And by taking Christ and lifting him up above all things, it gives you this ability to really understand who Christ really is. In that first verse 15 that we studied, we see Christ as being described as the image of the invisible God. The, the Greek word that's described here is the word that we get our word icon from. Uh, there's, there's all these ancient references to this. One of them would have been the, the metal seal that you've seen that was used to, to, um, as, with wax to, to give an, a, a, a transplant of, a, of an image. And, and it's, it's a description of an exact representation. It doesn't require an artist's rendition. This is who Christ is. He's the image of God. He, he is a, an exact representation of Christ in the flesh. In Colossians, we get this beautiful Trinitarian reference that starts in the, the verses that we read before where the Holy Spirit is described in Colossians 1, verse 12. God the Father is described in Colossians 1, verse 9. And here we see 
The, the Lord Jesus described in 1.15 that they, there's one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and they, they combine together to be the God of the universe. There's, there's no hesitation to describe the, the beauty of the Godhead here. In verse 15, he's described as the firstborn of all creation. He has authority and sovereignty above all of creation. Now, now in our culture today, the idea of being firstborn is something that's kind of easy for us to lose this idea of. In fact, um, there, are, there are, are heresies that are out there like Arianism and modern day Jehovah's Witness that, Witnesses that would teach that Jesus was the first of creation. And it's important for us to understand this firstborn as something very different. Maybe, maybe it's this, this idea that we think of, of the royal family, that there's a, a position that's been placed, that there's a, a description of who has the rights as the firstborn child, but maybe a better description. Now, I, this might sound a little personal here, but, but I, um, I kind of like to think in Ohio here that the moon is ours. Um, and the, the reason why I like to think that is because it was an Ohioan that first stepped on the moon, right? You guys get this? Every time I go to the Carolinas and I see this first in flight license plate, I kind of go, oh, wait a second, that's, that's our airplane, right? Every time I get on the plane, I think I'm, I'm from Dayton, right? Nobody else feels this way? <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel this way about the national championship, the the football national championship trophy because Ohio State won. The, do you guys know this? Yes? You guys are paying attention? That, that the firstborn carries with it the idea of, of he's first, that he's supreme, that he's above, as the text emphasizes over and over and over again, that he is above all. Dr. Constable, one of my professors in seminary, used to emphasize this so heavily, and I want to go through a list. It's in your notes, if you have your notes. He's, we are created by him and for him. He is the originator and of creation. He is the agent of creation. This was his work. He is the goal of creation. He is the forerunner of creation. He is the sustainer of creation. One of the things, Pastor Jim mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and it's such a powerful image that, that a heresy has crept into the church, I think today, and that is the idea that even our founding fathers had, some of them, that, that God created the earth, that he, he got it spinning, and then he, he tossed it over to, to us and says, don't break it, right? <laughs> like the, don't, don't screw it up. That deistic theology is something that creeps into us, especially when we find ourselves in fear and living in anxiety. Do I really trust like Dave shared, wasn't that testimony powerful? Do I really trust in the midst of the most broken times of my life that God's intimately involved in his creation? I do. And here, it doesn't just say that Jesus is the creator, but it says that he is the sustainer in verse 17 of God's creation. He is the head of the church. You will never see my name on the sign at Hope Church. It's never going to happen. And, and part of the reason that will never happen is there's no question in my mind about who the head of Hope Church is. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of this church. This is his church. He's the beginning of the church. He's the preeminent one. It's all about him. Isn't that list awesome? It, it puts me into a place where I understand who he is and who I'm not 
that he truly is, in verse 19, the fullness of God. The person who understands who Christ is and who understands how they fit in creation, they are set well when heresies and when false teachings have the tendency to creep in. Early Gnosticism was coming into the church at this point. And Paul's writing saying to them, you guys, Christ is preeminent. It is all about Christ. Some even believe that these first words were a hymn that was sung to declare the truth of the gospel. Second point this morning, uh, the first point being Jesus is fully God and fully man and carries with him all of God's authority. The second is in Christ, the lost can be found. That, That statement might seem quite simple, but these words found in verse 20 are the source of great encouragement for me. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his, Christ, his cross. The Lord Jesus is the reconciler of all things. We see this divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ meshing together in such a way to provide the perfect sacrifice. Do you remember the words of John the Baptist when he first saw Jesus at the point of baptism where he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This, this image is hard to see, but in that world, the temple sacrifices would have been crystal clear that there was an idea that my sin always leads to death. And that death would ultimately be what we know of is the work that the Lord Jesus did on the cross, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, the encouragement here is that he, do you hear the last words of that verse? That he is the maker of peace. That that he's provided a path for peace. He's the maker of peace. He's the provider of peace. And that's why we celebrate the work of the cross, the perfect atonement. Now, it is essential for us to understand who we place our trust in and to understand, as we keep saying, that, that our hope always has an object, right? I love history. I love reading about the stories of the Titanic. Many of you are familiar with the stories of the Titanic. And um, the, the key, remember, with hope is that we place our hope in the right things. There was an article in the weeks before the Titanic made its fateful journey across the Atlantic and before it sank that, that said in Shipbuilders Magazine that the boat was unsinkable. You've heard it. And that, that quote would have been re-quoted in the moments that the news that the Titanic was struggling by, by the White Star Line, the builder of the boat, Vice President Franklin, he made this statement. He said, we place absolute confidence in the Titanic. We believe the boat is unsinkable. The words that he articulated, I believe he believed. But he said that at a time when the Titanic at that moment was already at the depths of the sea, along with 1,500 other people who'd placed their faith and trust in something that really wasn't reliable. There's a component for you and I of asking who we place our trust in. And what we see in the text is the Apostle Paul's emphasizing that by placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can put full confidence in him. 
And that confidence is one that ultimately ought to make all of the difference in the world in your life. The third point this morning is this message of hope ought to make all of the difference in the world to us. The text goes on to say beautifully in verse 21, it says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. (laughs) That's not a very flattering portrait of us, right? Aliens, hostile, evil. Um, I, I don't think Paul's flattering us at this point, right? But, but he's asking us to remember. And can you do this with me right now? For those of you who are Christ followers in the room, do you, do you have a before picture of your life that you know what it was like when you woke up in the morning and you didn't know who was in control of the world? That you woke up in the morning and your hope was in nothing less than consume and enjoy the rules of our culture, right? How am I going to survive today? But, but that we understand these, these, these words are powerful and painful. You are alienated. You are hostile. That you are doing evil deeds. But praise the Lord, the bad news doesn't end there, but it turns into good news. He has now reconciled, remember that word again, he's restoring relationship in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, set apart and above reproach before him. In the book of Proverbs, repeated in Peter, there's this description of sin that says, like a dog returns to its vomit, so a man returns to its folly. That, that God understands how evil our hearts can be. That's gross, right? That's a gross description. But, but the statement that's here is to say, in Christ, you're purified from that, that you're set free from the slavery of sin and death. Verse 23 goes on to say, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, the Apostle Paul, have become a minister the, the warning, the description of this word is to remain in it, to, to press on, to continue on. Paul later would say to fight the good fight, to finish the race, right? To, to pursue this passionately. You, you were evil doing hostile aliens, but, but what you ought to do is understand my lavish forgiveness in such a way that you allow yourself to live in it. D.L. Moody tells this story about his sister. And I hope I can capture it today because it's so moving for me. He says his sister had a boy. He's like eight years old. And and he was stubborn. Now, anybody here stubborn? Nobody here stubborn? Um, Why isn't your hand up? Um, the, uh, um, the, I am the most stubborn person, you know, I can guarantee this. When I, when I read this story, it made me think so much of myself at eight years old that the boy had done something naughty. We don't know what it was, but, but his father came into him and said, young man, you need to apologize to your mom. And it was in the morning one day and, and he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He refused, flat out refused. I will not say no, say sorry to mom. And so his dad, um, quick, decided that he was going to banish him to his bed. And so um, he puts his son in his bed. He puts his pajamas back in, back on, crawls into bed in the morning. So dad goes off to work, comes back at lunchtime, figuring 
that, that the son had finally kind of got it, right? He apologized to mom and everything would be fine. Well, son's still in bed, goes back to work, comes back. Son's still in bed. It's dinner time now. Son stays in bed. Um, the way that, that Moody describes it, he says that when it came to, to the time to go to bed for the family, that the mom and dad, they couldn't even sleep because it felt like death had come over their house because, because he was so insistent, so stubborn that he refused to accept that it was time for him to repent, to ask for forgiveness. But it's interesting that the mom and dad, they say that they didn't sleep at all that night because of their son's insistent, insistent, persistent fight to ask for forgiveness. And in the morning when they woke, he still refused to ask for forgiveness. And Moody goes on to say that, that the boy's dad, or mom, sorry, walked in with him. Because really, you remember the, in the story, they want to forgive their son, right? They don't want to punish him. They want him to, to be reconciled to them. And, and the, the mom walks in with the boy, and she says, son, will you please repeat after me? And she says, I, and then he says, I am, he says, am, very, very, and then sorry. And, and it was just like, as the words came off of his lips, he lights up and he says, I said it. And he goes, I'm going to go tell dad I said it. That's, that's what he, he, he just had to get the words out of his lips, right? And I don't, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your story was when you came to Christ for those of you who are believers or for those of you who are still wrestling with, with Christ. But I think for each individual, there's a moment for us that when we've heard the truth of the gospel, when we recognize that there's a bad news component to it, that we were at one time strangers and aliens to God, that there's a moment for us that we have to choose to say, I accept your forgiveness in my life. I repent from it. And, and we know in, in Moody's story that the mom desperately wanted to forgive the boy but his stubbornness made him flee from their grace. I don't know what your story is, but I know the truth of God's word. And I know he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be, what's it say? Saved. And so for, for us in this room, the ones of us that have been around the church thing for a while, I just want to remind you simply that doing this church thing does not mean that you're a person who's placed, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can sit in the pew or the chair and you can be stubborn just like that little boy. It's possible that that's your story. Do you know that in Matthew, the Lord warns us that there will be people who at the judgment seat of Christ will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And do you remember what his response will be to some? Is away from me, I never, was it? Knew you. There's, there's an element of this passage that carries with it a warning. Part of the warning I see here is that he's saying to us that the forgiveness of Christ is, is palpable. It's obvious. It's great. It's clear. It's crystal clear. But the question for us is, are we going to remain in it? 
As we launched this series, we talked about what it means for us to be rooted and established in Christ. The idea of those roots is that they, they are providing and sustaining the foundation for the tree. We, I love this tree on our property here on the south, the, this giant oak tree that it's rooted and established so the seasons can come and go and it doesn't get tossed in the wind because it's rooted and established in Christ. I don't know your story, but, but the question that I have for you is, are you someone who's been rooted and established in Christ Jesus. In the text, there's a, there's a phrase that's, that's hard to read in verse 23, but may be helpful to understand the way it was written in Greek. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This if phrase is a first-class condition in Greek. It could be translated when. And I, I don't believe that this is a phrase that's saying that you can lose your salvation. But I think what he's saying is similar to 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, that he's talking about apostasy. And it's saying that we can turn our hearts away from Christ in such a way that we miss out on the blessing of remaining. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The man who wrote this message, the, the, the first subpoint on this third point is this, we need to remain in it. The other one is that this truth ought to be something that we're lavish with that we're, we're absolutely willing to share generously to a world around us. Can you imagine being in a place where you'd never heard the name Jesus Christ? Can you imagine being in a place where you had not heard of the hope of the gospel? What we know about the Apostle Paul who's penning these words is that he was enslaved for the sake of the gospel, that he calls himself a minister here of the gospel, that he, he sees himself as being an ambassador for the truth of Christ. And I don't know about you, but this, this idea of proclaiming the truth of the gospel is something that, that I want to be so committed to in my life. If you read the, the little pastor note that I sent to you this last week, there's a, a, an amazing statistic that was written that they say 82% of people who are invited by a friend, family member, um, or an acquaintance to come to church will say yes to join them at church. 82%. You know what also they, also they said? This is a Pew survey that was done 10 years ago. They say that 2% of people are willing to invite their friends to join them in church. Now, I don't, I don't know why that's the case, but I think, I think that there's a component of this that is something that I pray for is that as we pray for this community, that we want to continue to be a lighthouse for the gospel and we want to be lavishly generous with the truth of the gospel. That doesn't just mean we invite people to join us at church. That means that we are people who say that we're willing to lay down our comfort for the sake of others. And that's working off of the belief that every person we encounter is an eternal person, right? Now, I mentioned the Titanic earlier, and there are so many stories. You guys have heard the stories, but we've already mentioned that there were 1,500 people that died on that, that day. What you may not know is that when they launched from Ireland, when they went to go across to New York, they only had lifeboats for one-third of the people that were on the ship. So it began with only one-third enough 
um, boats for people who are on the ship. And, and you guys are aware of the fact the water was so cold that a life jacket didn't do you any favors. But what was amazing that came out in the stories after the Titanic had sunk and as survivors had come home is that the lifeboats, some of which could hold up to 65 people, that what they would find out later is that there were several of the lifeboats that left. One had only 12 people inside of a boat that could hold 65 people. And, and there's stories that were recalled of individuals who'd been saved. They saw the ship sink and they could just hear the cries um, within miles of where they were at, obviously within, within feet in some cases. And they rode away from the cries, not towards them. And there are stories that, that have been told of individuals who said, let's go back and see, and then others talk them out of it. In fact, that happened. There were only 20 lifeboats that, that were on the Titanic that day. And of the 20, only one of them finally decided to go back and help. They pulled nine people out of the water. Three of those people died. Only six of them survived. But what's amazing about it, on top of other things, is 472 lifeboat spots on the Titanic's lifeboats went unfilled. There were 472 seats that did not get filled while people were ultimately drowning. I don't know about you. I don't want to make this too serious, but... I want to make this serious enough that for you and I, there's an element of this. If we're Christ followers, that we say things like my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus love and his righteousness that we, we say like the apostle Paul does declare the, the, the greatness of Christ. Like it's amazing. He saved me. But, but what I do with that information and how I approach the other individuals that do not hold the same hope that I have ought to be the most motivating thing in my life right now. And I think that for you and I, when we think of this community that's surrounding us, when we think of, of what it means for us to be ambassadors for the gospel, Paul's words, a minister of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you the, the question that is so important for us is, is if you are a person that has been reconciled to Christ, are you willing to be someone who extends that same message of hope to a world around us that desperately needs it? Will you join me in prayer as we begin to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table? Lord, we love you and we thank you for this message. One, a message of hope, a story of reconciliation, but also one that reminds us of the fact that you have a mission for us that is real. Lord, that you have a mission for us that, that takes into account the deepest parts of our being. And I pray right now for our church that as we prepare our hearts now for the Lord's table, as a, a response to um, the reminder of what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. I pray that we would prepare our hearts appropriately. Think of the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he describes individuals who did this the wrong way. That one, that this was about food for them, that they, they hadn't taken the time to search their hearts. And Lord, we refuse to do that in this place. We, we come before you first and foremost and we ask that you would allow our hearts to be in tune with your hearts, that you would search our hearts and know us, and that you would 
Help us to know if there's any wayward thing within us.